Chapter 13 Master Griffin Tannis scowled at the view. It was barely morning and she was running. Her hangover wasn't close to one of her worst, but it was enough to make her wish with every part of her being that she was down there instead. This wasn't what she'd expected training to be. But the others hadn't been in the mood to chat when she'd turned up late. They'd jogged out the front gate the moment she arrived, not even checking whether she'd stretched first. She hadn't, but now she had a plan, learn to fly, fly to freedom. She was prepared to behave, so she jogged after them. They'd climbed high enough now that the estate was a splash of colour within winter hills. A sweeping river, iced over, turned and sparkled beneath the sun, from the coast, through a deep forest, and into a distant town Tannis couldn't name. Dominating everything was the bitter sea to the west, endless beneath low-hanging clouds. Beams of light from one break in the grey flowed across wild grass, rippling beneath snow. Where bare trees gave way to black rock, Tannis spied the jagged peaks of the drums piercing the sky. Mornings in the bowels sounded like drunkards retching, the clatter of the bar, and the sing-song pleas of beggars outside. Mornings here sounded like birds singing, water trickling, and the gusting breaths of her companion. Tannis preferred the retching. It was peaceful, she supposed if you liked that sort of thing. Her eyes were continuously drawn to the town and its puffing chimneys. Civilization being so close both frilled and chilled her. On one hand, she could slip over there to see if there was any route to escape. On the other, every person that lived there was a pair of eyes that could see Kiana and whisper to a passing hound. Focusing on the trail, Tannis realised, not for the first time, that she'd fallen back. Puffing out her cheeks, she sped up. The twins, who'd greeted her with wildly different levels of enthusiasm, had already turned home, but Tannis wasn't ready to follow them. Griffin kept glancing over his shoulder, expecting her to falter. She smiled and waved each time, committed to her new cause of drawing satisfaction from his displeasure. His pace was steady, and the further they went, the easier it became. The steeper the incline, the less snow there was to drag boots out of. Ice had never been a problem for Tannis on Celestia's rooftops, and it wasn't here. Soon enough, she was at Griffin's shoulder. It was odd, really. She was fit, but she was a sprinter, one for bursts of speed more than anything else. They'd been running for what felt like hours now, yet she was sure she could run for hours more. The fresh air filled her lungs with life, and Griffin's deepening scowl filled her heart with joy. We should stop soon, he ground out. She waved a dismissive hand and kept running. Her chest didn't burn, her legs didn't protest. When Griffin glanced at her the next time, she kicked up her knees for emphasis. He rolled his eyes, which she enjoyed more than she should have. Eventually, the trees thinned, the trail widened, and they broke into a clearing. Tannis pulled up, 
jaw dropping at the sight before her. A small stone church hid on the side of the mountain. It was nowhere near as grand as the domed churches of Celestia, but unlike those it had been left untouched and unbarred. When the witches died, their marks had been chipped and chiselled until they were unrecognisable. Their magic remained in the places they'd built, and the Guardian could do nothing about that. But the message was still clear. The witches were no more, and they'd never be again. Yet here, the mark of the stone splitter was etched clearly into each stone. The witch that could, by all accounts, move mountains, lingered. Tannis's head felt light. She drifted forwards as if in a dream. It had been years since she'd seen an unblemished mark. Even the bleeders that had once dared to have them tattooed onto their flesh had since removed them, if they hadn't been killed for them first. What are you doing? Startled, she glanced back at Griffin. She'd forgotten she wasn't alone. He folded his arms, but there was a knowing glint in his eye that made her want to turn her back on this sight and not spare it another thought. He'd probably brought her here on purpose, but it was impossible to turn away. Something wrestled within her, a memory or a feeling. As a child, she'd mourned the witches, and at first it seemed all mourned with her. She'd sat within the ashes of the boughs after the fire swept through, and listened to the stories of their fall from the stars, of them emerging from the moonstone, of them healing the sick. Over time, there were less people listening with her, more people hanging from the gallows. As a child, Tannis longed to live in a world that revered, not reviled, the power within her. She'd looked upon the stars and promised to take down the Guardian and the Bloodhound. Lucky had believed she would, and so Tannis had believed she could do anything. The city changed, and life changed with it. Tannis gave up. It was easy to forget them in Celestia, the seat of the Guardian's rule to put them aside. The whispers of the past faded with each sighting of a hound encased in black armour, and their master with his red helm, with each person dragged from their home to await death in a frozen cell. Tannis couldn't abide talk of the witches being alive. Too much had been lost, too many years given to hopelessness. But here? Now? She reached for the stone. Her fingers brushed one of the marks, and a shiver passed through her. The witches were real, and the blood of one of them ran in Tannis's veins. They were dead. She was certain they were dead. It wasn't worth the risk to ascend the tower, but the child within her yearned. For the witches, for the bleeders that had died, for the chance to show the Guardian she'd never truly win. We should go. Ignoring Griffin, she tiptoed to the doors as if this were a tomb, and she feared disturbing the dead. The wood was rotten and covered in moss. Grabbing the handle, Tannis heaved. One door groaned, blasting her with dirt and a hot gust of damp air. With shallow breaths, she stepped inside. The magic remained. She blinked up at the church's small dome only visible from within. 
Outside, the sky was a blanket of grey after the bright morning. Here, gleaming snowflakes drifted against a backdrop of purple velvet. In the stone, the stone-splitter witch lived on. She wished Lucky could see it. Dragging her eyes from the false sky, Tannis swept her gaze over the dark corners of the square space, and an ache settled in her gut. There was no altar, no statue, no moonstone candle holders or exquisite gems. The Guardian's forces missed this one, said Griffin, from the doorway. Ordinary folk gutted the place. Wrapping her arms around herself, Tannis frowned. She couldn't blame them, but stealing from a witch's church? Even now she wouldn't dare. Griffin moved closer. There are new marks every time I come up here. She shivered. Some fight her still. In their way. There was something about this place. Ollinger was so sure of his quest, and Tannis had ended up here. Not just a bleeder, not just a windwalker. So, about me being the only windwalker? Absently, Tannis pulled her necklace free, toying with the cord. The windwalker witch didn't start a dynasty long ago like the others. Throughout her life, she only had one child. Tannis drew in a shaky breath, tipping her head back to the purple blizzard above. She had you. Closing her eyes, she shook her head. For once, she'd nothing to say. She couldn't remember her mother, and father had never spoken of her. It was a ridiculous notion that she wasn't descendant, but daughter of a witch. Yet just as Griffin and Ollinger couldn't prove it true, she couldn't prove it false. Griffin stepped close, and her eyes opened as he reached out a hand, quickly pulling it back again. What? His eyes were on her necklace. It's Moonstone, Tannis said, curling a protective hand around it. It doesn't look like stone, he whispered, frowning. She could tell he wanted to inspect it, but he kept his arms stiff at his sides. It looks like metal. Her thumb instinctively brushed against the Moonstone's smooth surface. It's Moonstone, she repeated. He stared for a long moment, then shook himself, attention shifting from her fingers to her face. Where'd you get it? She shrugged. My father gave it to me. He studied her, no anger or irritation in his expression. She let the stone drop beneath her cloak, but still he watched her. Her blood, energised by the run and the witch marks, pulsed. She saw something in his eyes she didn't know what to do with so she jerked away. We should keep going, she said, voice echoing beneath the enchanted roof. She hurried back outside, gulping in fresh air. The witches, her mother, none of this could be real and yet the hairs on the back of her neck stood on end. Griffin followed, slowly. We shouldn't. What? Why? His familiar scowl locked into place. Because you're about to enter stasis. Stasis. It means you're about to crash. She folded her arms. I feel fine. He lifted an eyebrow. 
You say you can't use your power, but you've been using it since we left the estate. It's like it trickles from you. Already I can feel it easily. When you run, it's in the air pushing you on. It's in your lungs, powering your legs. You feel like you could keep going forever, don't you? She opened her mouth. Falling for that feeling is the first mistake any Starblood makes. It's a wonder you haven't destroyed yourself already. Our power isn't endless. It's like a muscle. Without proper training, we can cause permanent damage. In trying to prove a point to me, you've risked too much. When the magic is spent, your body will let you know. Starbloods don't run out of magic. Your blood is the key to the magic in the air around you. Use too much and your body will slam the door, shutting the key inside. You can't keep throwing your power out like this. If you want to grow stronger, you have to learn control. I'm fine, Tannis ground out, ignoring the quiver in her thighs. That was just her mind playing tricks. Maybe I'm just better than you. He stared at her for a long moment. Fine, let's keep going. She shot him a filthy look, shoving past. It was just as easy as before to jog away from the church and continue up the trail. He was wrong. She'd not done anything differently to any other day of her life. If magic spilled out of her, that was just the way it had always been. She'd make it over the drums when the time came. Maybe being the daughter of a witch had something to do with it, Tannis thought, grimacing. By the time it happened, Griffin had already pulled ahead. She fought until the last moment, clenching her jaw in determination, but stars danced in her vision. Bending double, she vomited into the snow. His boots appeared before her, body trembling, her eyes and throat burned. When her stomach settled, she wiped a hand across her mouth and straightened, bracing herself to meet Griffin's gaze. Amusement danced in his eyes. It made him look different, softer. She had a feeling this was exactly what he'd wanted to happen when he'd woken up. I suppose you were right, she grumbled. I suppose, he said, flashing a smile she almost returned. Now we have to go back. I do hope your first lesson is one well learned. He pressed a water flask into her hand, stepping around her. Tannis watched him go, lips parted in surprise. Did this lump of a bleeder have a personality? She called after him. I'd say my teacher is a bastard. Griffin tried to muffle his laugh, but Tannis heard it. Will you listen to me tomorrow? he said. At least he wasn't running. Yes, master. It was a nice moment, soon forgotten. Tannis threw up three more times on the journey back.